Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in her space. In order to heal it, you got to first see it. And so what's the stuff that's been a part of you, but that's not really you? What are the aspects of you that are a reaction to how you were raised, what you lived through, what your mother and father lived through, what uh, are the realities of being a descendant? Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady, it's Terry here. Before you tune into the episode, I wanted to give you a quick disclaimer to let you know that we faced some very serious technical difficulties as we were recording, but the content is so valuable. It's so good that we didn't want to wait to put it out and, you know, re-record. We really wanted to capture the moment and just share with you all of the amazing gems that our guests share today. So bear with us. We know it's not the best audio. It was really out of our control. The internet was not trying to let us be great, but we'll make sure to get a better episode out to you very soon. Ladies, today on the show, we have a very, very special guest. I'm just going to jump right into her bio and you'll see exactly why. Dr. Tama Bryant Davis is a licensed psychologist, ordained minister, and sacred artist who has worked nationally and globally to provide relief and empowerment to marginalized peoples. She is an associate professor at Pepperdine University and a past president of the Society for the Psychology of Women. Her contributions to psychological research, policy, and practice have been honored by national and regional psychological associations. Dr. Tama earned her doctorate from Duke University, completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical Center, and is a past American Psychological Association representative to the United Nations. Hashtag Black Girl Magic. She served as a mental health media consultant for numerous print, radio, and television media outlets, including but not limited to The Huffington Post, NPR, CBS, Oxygen, CNN, BET, TV One, Lifetime, and WeTV. Welcome to Her Space, Dr. Tama. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you all. Yay. And we are so ready to dive into the conversation. We're going to start off with our quote of the day. And naturally, if you, lady, if you're listening and you follow Dr. Tama on Twitter, you know that every day she has an inspirational tweet that usually comes out of her daily devotionals. So our quote of the day comes from one of those. Do not stop your healing at the level of your leaves. 
Heal the root so you don't repeat the pattern. And I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. Do not stop your healing at the level of your leaves. Heal the root so you don't repeat the pattern. Dr. Tama, when I read that quote, what comes up for me is this this area that you are well-versed in and that you help a lot of people with, and that's intergenerational trauma. Can you talk to us a little bit about what intergenerational trauma is? Absolutely. I want to say a little something about the quote, and then I'll go into intergenerational trauma. So when we talk about healing the leaves, that often can be superficial healing, surface healing, when I change my symptom, but a symptom is only a sign of distress. It's a sign of a soul wound. It is not the wound itself. So what that means is if I am only healing the leaf or the surface, then I may walk away from my food addiction, but I may substitute my food addiction for cigarette. Or I may walk away from one man who is treating me bad, and then I select another man who also treats me badly because I have not addressed the wound. And so uh, real healing is not just about symptom substitution. So I don't want to just replace one temporary fix for another. I want to go to the core uh, of my hurt. And my specialty area in psychology is trauma recovery. And many of our traumas, uh, we are the direct target. So you may have experienced sexual assault, child abuse, uh, intimate partner violence, community violence, medical trauma, if you have a particular diagnosis, living through a natural disaster. Uh, so you may be the direct recipient um, of a trauma. But then there is also intergenerational trauma, which is the impact we carry based on the traumas that those who came before us endured. And that may be your recent relatives, like your parents uh, or your grandparents, or it can be ancestral, it can be historical, where it was generations away, but the impact uh, continues to this day. So the way intergenerational trauma can be transmitted is both physiological and sociological. And what I mean by that is uh, there have been studies done, particularly with descendants of the Holocaust, where they look at the genetic transmission of trauma and they're able to document it. But it is not only what is passed down uh, neurologically, physiologically, like in my body, but there is also a social impact that is based on the stories I have been told. Uh, the stories that have been passed down, whether in history books or in films or by my relatives, and the impact of our awareness of those traumatic events. It is actually also a soul wound, and it would be helpful to know that when we say psychology, the root word psyche is actually soul. And so it is not healing my mind, but healing my very soul that I am carrying both the strength 
and the resilience of my four parents, but I am also carrying their pain. Wow, that is so powerful. And I'd love to know, Dr. Tima, how does intergenerational trauma show up in the therapy room? Certainly. So some people will start with describing behaviors, but they're not aware of the root of the behavior. And so we may have intergenerational addiction, right? So if I have been raised by parents who struggled with addiction, often addiction is the way that people are medicating their pain. So a client may come in uh, with the distress or the depression or the resentment of the ways in which their parents were not able to parent them. And so then what we are unpacking is not just what the child observed, because what they're going to report is at the point of their need and the point of their understanding. But then I am listening for what would have driven your mother to retreat into alcohol, to retreat into crack, to retreat uh, into food addiction. Uh, And so sometimes it shows up by the ways in which we were not cared for. Uh, Sometimes it shows up in what we have normalized. So when people come in normalizing very destructive relationships or thinking that uh, toxic relationships um, are the norm or that that means love. So you didn't just create that, right? You don't just turn 35 and think that harming me or stalking me um, or hitting me is the way you show love. Like that idea did not originate with me. So then I need it from them a relationship history, not just their relationships, but the relationships they saw. And what are the patterns that we see in your genogram, in your family tree? What are the pieces that stick out generation after generation? That's so interesting because in my personal experience and with friends, I've noticed there are people that may not have grown up with certain loved ones, but they tend to exhibit some of the same characteristics. So I think you just hit that nail on the head is why that happens, right? It's like, I didn't see this person struggle with this addiction, but I find myself having that same addiction in my life. Yeah, so there can be, um, we are predisposed to certain psychological challenges. And so it can be both what we bear witness to, but even if you didn't see it, uh, you can carry it. So, you know, I was doing a retreat this weekend for women and uh, we were talking about uh, these cultural messages and the stigma about mental health and therapy. And one of the common phrases you will hear uh, in African-American communities and families is fix your face. So children are not allowed to look upset. Even if you are upset, the adults don't want to see it. So we tell people fix your face, but we don't say heal your heart because we're not used to the luxury of healing. All we know is we just had to keep pressing forward. So these children need to be super strong and not really because we're not healed. We just stuff it. You stuff it and you don't let people see it. And we have a value, a cultural value of the appearance of strength that we are not supposed to look weak. We are not supposed to look 
depressed. We are not supposed to look irritated. And so we learn to wear the mask, poem from the Harlem Renaissance. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our teeth and shades our eyes. And so we teach our children uh, not healing, but masking. And that is another form of intergenerational trauma. Wow. Wow. And so when you, I heard you mention the word genogram. Can you explain to us what the genogram is and how you use it in therapy? Sure. So it is your family tree. And we know, um, particularly within ethnic minority communities, African-American communities, that that tree is not always straightforward. (laughs) And so we base it not only on Uh, biology, but proximity. And so we have a lot of play aunts. We have a lot of play cousins. But if you grew grew up with them, we call it a fictive kin, right? Fictive kin. So incorporating the key people uh, that were in your life and what their relationship is with each other. And then we put major attributes with each person. And so their age, uh, their relationship or marital status, um, if they had children that were, uh, will have that there, uh, major traumas that we are aware of that that person experienced, and then something about their relationship to us, uh, what, you know, interpersonally, how uh, they treated us or how we saw them, how we felt in their presence. As you were describing that, what I immediately thought about was there are an amazing number of patterns that could be observed just from completing a genogram. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You will start to see the cycle. Here's the thing as clients, um, people often show up to therapy feeling like something's wrong with them and feeling uh, shame and baffled about their own decision-making and how they ended up, you know, because, you know, we're usually not in the place we imagined. Right. We had a vision of where we were going to be at 25 or 30, 35, 40, 45 on up. We have a a vision of that. And so when my life does not match the vision, um, we usually look inward and feel like, how how did this happen? What is wrong with me? And so it is to help people unfold their stories, say, from a narrative perspective, narrative therapy, because if you tell me enough about your story, then your decisions make sense. That each of us are not as much of a mystery as we think. <laughs> it it makes sense. We're living out either in reaction uh, to what we saw, trying desperately to be that, or mirroring the script that was given us. And so that is a part of my healing, is figuring out what are the scripts that I was handed I say that don't fit in my mouth, that don't match the woman I want to be, because then I have to edit, I have to write a new story, a new narrative, and getting to that place where uh, not, I'm okay, that not everyone is going to approve of the narrative I choose choose to tell with my life story. Terry and I are sitting here just kind of in awe, and... And I I do this work like I work with students on a college campus, but I don't get to really because our therapy is time limited. I don't have that luxury of diving into all of those narratives. Right. 
is and that is absolutely uh, understandable that sometimes we're doing a piece of the work. But even when I have worked at places where it is time limited, I try to give the person um, a glimpse, a sense um, of the dynamics and the issues, even if right now we're going to do a piece of the work, because that will also help them not to judge themselves harshly when down the road, these other things rise up. Because or if not, people will say, well, I thought I worked on myself or I thought I already did that. Why is this coming up for me now? And so a lot of our triggers um, are related to um, our trauma history and the trauma history of those who came before us. So being able to name it for the client and then to say for these eight sessions, this is the piece that we're going to focus on. But all of this is interrelated. And so it's so important to have self-compassion, to have patience, and to uh, set an intention that somewhere in my future, I will return, if not here, but I will give myself the gift of time and space to do this work um, because what we're doing here is a piece. That's so powerful. And I think back to a time when I was in therapy and for a whole year, Dr. Tama, I was in therapy and I was in there front and I was not diving to the things that were really happening in life. I just talked about the surface. But when we did get to some of the things like molestation and things like that, it got hard. Therapy got very challenging and it got emotional. And I didn't really want to look at that stuff or talk about it, but I knew that I needed to heal or I needed that to heal. Do you notice that there are certain characteristics that someone has when they are ready to heal or in order for them to heal? Yeah. So one, I'm going to kind of flip it and talk about um, the role of the therapist, given that the work is hard. We are to be the light bringers. To do this work, I have to believe in miracles, which means I believe that you have greater capacity than you are currently manifesting. If not, there's no work. We're not going to do any work, right? So for us to do the work, it's I'm the hope bringer because when people come into treatment, they're wondering, can it get any better than this? And because they have not seen better for themselves personally, they don't truly believe it. And so I carry the hope as the therapist when the person has not yet caught hold of the hope. What it also means is I make predictions and treatment. So when people start uh, going through their narratives, I tell them right now you're going to feel some relief because you're saying things you've been carrying for years, but sometime between now and next week, you're going to decide you don't want to come. And when that feeling and thought comes, I want you to be reminded of this moment that I told you that was going to happen and for you to press through and come anyway. And when you come anyway, I want you to know you are in control. And so we don't have to dig every week. So if you come in and say, Dr. Tama, uh, last week was heavy. This week, I just want to talk about an argument I had with my mother then you're in control of our process and our pacing. So you don't have to stay away with the belief that if I come there, I surrender control and this person is going to make me do things I'm not ready to do, right? So we're going to pace it and give you the skills for it. The other really important thing um, is I'm a joyful person. So uh, when I was working in an office suite, my office mate, another therapist whose uh, specialty was eating disorders, he said to me one day, you know, um, I can't believe your specialty is trauma 
because I always hear a lot of laughter coming out of your office. And I said, of course, like if it's going to be doom and gloom for an hour every week, nobody wants to sign up for that. Right. So and, it, and it's not fluff. It's not distraction, but but pacing it um, so that we're unpacking. But then we're also putting um, rebuilding so that people are not leaving at such a depleted place. That must take a lot of um, skill and intentionality to bring such joy into a situation like that. So that that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is about like timing and pacing because you do want to be careful. Like not every moment is a joyful moment, right? Um, but asking questions that get the other part of a person. So for example, I'm a sexual assault survivor, but um, I would say the trauma affected me, but it does not define me. It is not the sum total of who I am. And so sometimes as clinicians, we either ignore and look over the trauma or we make the mistake of making the trauma this person's everything. And they have uh, interests and hobbies and a personality and they have a whole, they have a whole being. Um, that is not limited to that, although that will affect the other aspects. And so creating space for the whole being that sitting in front of you is a spiritual being, a sexual being, a, a humorous being, a motivated or driven being. And so I want to create space for the whole person to show up. And there are not many spaces in the world where people can just be their full self. So that is extremely important. And I think about family, a lot of trauma, as far as like the people that I know in my experience has happened in family and within family. What do, like, how do you navigate those situations where you have loved ones that have contributed to your trauma, but you still have to interact with them today? Right. So first I would, unless the person is a child, I would remove the have to interact and I would give people the liberation of choice, even when it's family that you choose um, if you're an adult. Right? If you're a child, then we have to figure that out because if you're not safe, then that's an issue, right? When we talk about healing, um, there cannot be healing with ongoing trauma. So I work differently. I'm working with a woman who's currently with an abusive partner and it's not safe for her to exit yet. So she's still in it. That's a different kind of work than someone who comes to me in the aftermath and they're ready to do the healing work because of not wanting to create the cycle in their future. So, you know, when, when the term post-traumatic stress disorder was created, it was created for veterans. And it was when they came home from battle, so they're no longer on the battlefield. Now we can do the healing of post-traumatic stress. So when I'm dealing with a family um, that is toxic, um, that is abusive, if you have the uncle who is still grabbing your behind, then it's not um, for us to say now we're at post-trauma, Right. You are in ongoing trauma. So then uh, we have to make some decisions about um, the, the type of access I want to give people to me because I value my mental health and my safety. So um, what that may look like is saying, well, I'm still going to go over there for the brunch or for the holidays, but I don't have to stay all day. Or I'm still going to go visit, but I'm not staying in that house. Right. Or, you know, I'm going to uh, when I get there, you know, there's always a kid's room. 
I'm going to go with the kids. I'm sit at the kids' table. <laughs> you already know. I'm going, I'm going to go on errands. Who needs errands? I'm going to go every time they need an errand, I'm out of here. So, you you know, you get to shape what that experience is like. Um, and one of the, the, the liberating things for me was recognizing the difference in forgiveness and reconciliation. I can forgive someone and still not hang around them. Because some people think if I forgive you, I have to act like it didn't happen and we have to go back to our prior relationship. But the distinction is I can forgive someone who is not sorry, but I can only be reconciled with someone who is authentically, truly repentant and transformed so that I do not continue to be uh, exposed to the trauma. So uh, forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness doesn't mean we go back to what it was before when there is no change in behavior, in conversation, in attitude. So we have to operate in wisdom. And that doesn't mean you're being mean. It means you are honoring yourself and honoring the truth and not lying to yourself about the reality. Here's the thing with family mama is often we act shy when people continue to be themselves. So you know the people in your family who are out of order. And every time they see you, they're going to say something left field. So for me to get myself worked up every year when you do the same thing is problematic for me. So I make a decision. It's not that I make uh, the behavior acceptable, but I'm no longer going to be surprised by someone showing up as themselves. There's just so much there. Um But one of the things that I want to talk about, you mentioned like boundary setting and caring for self. As a therapist, sometimes we can experience vicarious trauma. So how do you prevent vicarious trauma? Or if it comes up for you, how do you respond? How do you care for yourself? Sure. So self-care for clinicians or for anyone who is a caretaker or nurse, doctor, school teacher, minister, um, cannot just be in the aftermath of extending yourself. It needs to be before. So uh, in the mornings, I have uh, rituals or devotions to fill my cup up. So when I enter the office, I am not starting with an empty cup. And when clinicians are starting with an empty cup, they are burned out. uh, They are resentful um, or they're detached. Like they're no longer moved by what they're hearing um, because they've checked out in order to take care of themselves. So the way I can have something to pour out is I have to pour in, which means as clinicians, we also have to be mindful to not surround ourselves with one-sided relationships outside of the therapy office. And uh, that can be a control issue of picking friends and partners that we pour into but don't get anything from. Um, And so, and, and if we don't take responsibility for it, we can say, oh, it just happens. Like, oh, I just always end up with selfish friends. Well, if that keeps happening, there is a way that we are participating. So you want to challenge yourself about what is it that makes me uncomfortable about uh, being with eagles? 
What is it that makes me uncomfortable about sharing intimate space with people who can really see me, not just what I offer for them? So um, restoring ourselves both relationally and spiritually so we show up with something to give. And it also means recognizing we are not the savior. So um, when I first started, uh, when I first graduated and first started doing this work, I had this pattern I noticed where I kept missing lunch because they would uh, say a client needed to be seen. And I would do this thing in my head where I would say, what's more important, me getting a sandwich or someone's healing? (laughs) So I'm going to see the client. So now I'm sitting there hungry, talking to other people about self-care. My stomach is growling and I'm telling you the importance of taking care of yourself. So I had to make the decision, uh, do I just want to be a parrot and repeat what I read in a book or do I want to be authentic and actually uh, to to the best of my ability, live what I am speaking and to know I am worthy. I'm worthy of going to bed. I'm worthy of eating. I'm worthy of time for to do nothing. Um, I'm worthy. And so I no longer have to define myself by busyness, right? And when I recognize I am not the savior, then I'm a lot less stressed out. You know, when you first start, you have this idea of I'm carrying these people. No, I'm not. I'm walking alongside them. We're, we're walking this out and they are giving me the honor and privilege of walking with them, but it is not for me to carry. Dr. Tammy, you got us over here shouting. We over here waving our hands, trying to be quiet as you speak, but you are preaching. That is so on point. That savior, you know, complex that some of us get where it's like, I got to help the people. I got to be there for them. But it's like, are you helping yourself? Right. Are you there for yourself? Absolutely. And I gave myself the gift of on airplanes, no longer telling people what I do. If you're on an airplane and you tell the person next to you, oh, what do you do? I'm a psychologist. Then it's about to be like a three hour session. I don't play those games. Yes. Yeah. I say I'm a teacher. Know, that's that's right. it. That's it. And I'm about to close my eyes and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I have done that yes. so many times. Protect your energy because you already know they're going to ask questions. Well, this happened then when I was younger. Now, what about Dr. Tamer, let's say there's a woman who maybe has not started her journey into therapy, but she knows that she's being impacted from some, you know, familiar trauma. What would be that first step toward healing for her? Yes. So the first and biggest step is acknowledgement, because many of our wounds, um, we do not recognize as wounds. We think it's our personality. So you think, you know, having a mean face and being distrusting or zapping out on people, you say, that's just me. And as long as I claim those things as my identity, I will never heal because I'm going to say, that's just me. But when I have the courage to say, even though for years of my life, I have been acting this way, I recognize that is my wound speaking. That is my wound deciding for me. That is my wound that has shaped my life. It's actually not who I am at my core. So in order to heal it, you got to first see it. And so what's the stuff that's been a part of you, but that's not really you? What are the aspects of you that are a reaction to how you were raised, what you lived through, what your mother and father lived through, what uh, are the realities of being a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade? 
So what are the ways uh, that enslavement uh, shows up for you, that stereotype, stigma, uh, discrimination, fear show up for you? And to recognize that is actually not your identity. Drops mic. <laughs> I mean, there we have it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We don't see it, you know, and people will cling to that of that's just me. And then, you know, if you're one of those people that think being nice is being fake or being kind is being weak, that is your wound speaking. So you're still in survival mode. And the beautiful part is uh, developing that armor is what allowed you to survive some very toxic situations. But surviving is not the same thing as living. And you will never live the fullness of who you are on the planet to be as long as you are stuck in survival mode. And so taking the risk of finding out, is this a safe place in my life where it doesn't mean I will never have to engage, but I don't live in battle, right? If it comes to me, if it shows up, if there is an issue, I can uh, advocate for myself, but I don't live in that defensive place of always side-eyeing everybody and always waiting for the other shoe to drop and never getting to enjoy this moment. If someone believes that being kind or being nice is a form of weakness, how is that their wound showing up? Can we dig into that a little bit? Sure. It is because their experience of people they trusted, loved, or admired were people who were uh, mean-spirited. And they would call it brutally honest, but uh, people will put those two things together that to be honest, you must be brutal. And that is not true. So I can speak truth and love and it is not any less the truth. But um, when I was raised by people who were not able to verbally express their care for me, then it is uncomfortable for me to hear it. So I have to question it when somebody else does, because if that is authentic, then I miss something. If that thing does, if that thing is not real, I never missed anything because it doesn't exist. That's so powerful. So all based on your experience and the wound that you have now that's impacting the way that other people or how you perceive other people when they show up authentically. Yeah. Right. Right. I was working with a, a mother and her adult daughter. And, um, you know, the adult daughter was in pain for multiple reasons, but a part of it was her mother struggled with addiction and had never expressed um, compassion or love toward the daughter. And so when I asked the mother, you know, uh, are you willing to tell your daughter you love her? The mother's immediate response was, I'm not trying to be fake. So I say, it is only fake if it's a lie. If you don't love her and you say, I love her because I asked you to, then that is being fake. So I guess this is an important point for us to come to terms with. Do you love your daughter? And of course, the, not of course, but the answer was yes. Right. So that um, healing space is so important. I could imagine, like, as I was listening to you, the healing that occurred, not just for mom, but for the daughter. Yes. Yes. And the transformation that could occur for her. Absolutely. After hearing her mom say, I love you. And one of the things about addiction is 
sometimes kids especially have in their mind, my parent chose their drug over me. But for someone with an addiction, that's not even the choice. Like they're not sitting there grappling with like this or that, right? It's that uh, the addiction is it. Like they're not even choosing themselves. There is no choice anymore, right? When, when you have full-fledged addiction, I'm not, I'm not even uh, choosing. I am caught up. And mm-hmm. so um, it's a powerful but painful reality that some of the things that were directed at us or that affected us were not about us or people whose father never showed up for them and them trying to figure out what's wrong with me that my father didn't want me. That man may have a whole history and decision-making that had nothing to do with your worth or value as a daughter or as a son. Wow. It just, it's so deep to think about how we all, like it's intergenerational, right? We all have our own path and our own story that impacts the way we show up in the world, the way that we love on those or, or fail to love on those that are around us. And everyone is being impacted by something. It's just, well, when you think about it that way, it's just really deep. Correct. Yeah. We never truly know as we're all walking around this world, we never truly know what wounds the other person is carrying. That person in the grocery store, that person in the car next to us when we're on that long commute may be dealing with some wounds that are causing them to interact with us in what we perceive as something negative, but could truly be self-protective for them. Yeah, it's the same piece for other people. You look at other people's behavior and you're like, why in the world would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. But that is because you're thinking about it from your perspective of what you would do and that you would never do that, right? But if you knew their story, it would make more sense to you why they chose to do what they did. Yes, and it's so difficult sometimes to get outside of our head and see things from someone else's perspective, right? Whether it's family or loved ones, that's just, it's just powerful. And so now we want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, you talked about one of the things that you mentioned was being joyful and pouring into yourself. And so one of the ways that Terry and I like to pour into ourselves and pour into our guests is what we call our OU Clatchet segment. And so because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman and believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet and you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music, we invite you to the OU Classic segment. So Dr. Tama, do you take on the challenge? Yes, I take it on. Let's do it. Yay! All right. I'm not going to lie, Dr. Tamer. We were very nervous. We we read your bio and we were like, okay, she's a minister. Should we should we go ahead and do this segment here? But I think it'll be fun for you. We're going to rapid fire just ask you a few questions. And the first question here is, which song gets you on the dance floor at the club or party? Right now, Truth Hurts, Lizzo. Yes. Oh, that's the joint. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, what's your favorite hairstyle on yourself? Locks. I have them right now. Yes. All right. How long have you had your locks, Dr. Tama? 
Uh, just a year. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, what about this question? What's the best compliment you've ever received? So I'm a dancer and I was dancing uh, back in North Carolina when I was in college. And when I came off a stage, a woman said to me, who did you train with? God. Wow. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, that was the best. Well, speaking of dancing, twerk or two-step or something in between? I'm a dancer, so I'm going to do a combo. We're going to do it all. (laughs) (laughs) Do it all. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Tamer, what's your favorite book? Uh, I have several. My mom wrote a book called I Dance with God. And what I love about that book is it's uh, focused on women, on women of African descent. Um, it is spiritual and it is poetic. And of course, that's my mother. So, and she's brilliant. So, <laughs> Yes, that's incredible. That is so awesome. So we are going to have to have a link to that book in our show notes so that our listeners can go and find that book. Good. Absolutely. And then our final question. What is something that many people don't know about you? I spent high school in Liberia, West Africa, 10th and the 11th grade. And even though growing up, I was teased a lot for being dark skinned with natural hair and African features. Um, When I went to Liberia for those two years, I actually became Miss High School Liberia. Wow. Wow. That is so incredible. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So it was life transforming to go from the rejected one to the reigning queen. That changed my whole perspective of myself. I know that's right. That is so beautiful. Oh, yeah. talking about it. Talk about an amazing narrative. Like, yeah. yeah. Dr. Tamer, we just want to Thank you so much for your time. We honor you and we celebrate you for the work that you do for our community and the conversation that we had today that we know is going to touch so many women. We just thank you for your gifts, for your talents, your many gifts, right? And many talents. <laughs> and we, we'd love for you to share with our listeners, where can they find you on social media? Thank you both for having me. It's been a delight talking to you. And I would love to stay connected with your listeners. So on Twitter, um, Dr. Tama, D-R-T-H-E-M-A. On Instagram, it's Dr. D-R period Tama. On Facebook, the same Dr. Tama, uh, Bryant Davis. My website is uh, drtama.com. And an exciting venture I would love to invite your audience to join me on is um, July the 7th. I started my podcast and it is called Homecoming with Dr. Tama. And it is about coming home to yourself emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, sexually, as whole beings uh, for us to stop living this other woman's life, this other man's life, but to get to that place of authentic fulfillment. It's on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. That sounds amazing. We will definitely add a link to our show notes that leads them right to your podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Tama. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health. 
but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast, or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I will not judge myself for where I'm starting. I'm making progress every day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, ladies.